I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, down there in Tequila, Georgia. My good friend, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green, is here. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It is good to be back with you, like we are every week, to uh, to talk college football, man. How you been? Not too bad. Went to a cat cafe this afternoon with my wife. Um, it was something that was on her bucket list, and she was uh, not. Bucket list sounds extreme. Uh, so one of the yes, things she wanted. To, that's a little. That's a little extreme. Not a bucket list. One of the things she wanted to do this year. It was on uh, just a, a just not doesn't have to be a bucket list. Just, just a, a regular list. checklist. Yeah. Not a not a before you die type list. But right. But what what makes a cafe a cat cafe other than just. Having cats roaming around, I'm assuming? Cats are roaming around, but you have to sign the waiver when you go in. So if they like attack you or get you sick or whatever, they, they're not liable because I mean, wow. I'm talking like these are all cats up for adoption. So it's a great cause. Like you get to go in there and see if any of them you want to take home. Um, I will say I was very much the only male for an extended period of the time here. <laughs> Cats are just like, it's uh, for whatever reason, I, I don't know why, but we were there for a couple hours, got some work done, but man, I was getting sniffles and all that kind of stuff, because we talked about it, getting a cat um, to pair up with Cleese the dog over here, um, but I don't know, man. I, I like cats. I respect them. Like the cats making biscuits in there. Um, they do their own thing. Cats are, uh, my wife was having a great time with the laser pointer, just uh, having the cats run all over mm. the area. But yeah, the cat cafe is like just a normal coffee shop. But before you can go into the cat, the cat portion of the experience, you got to sign the waiver and you get to pick out your coffee and tea or whatever. But uh, because I'm 75 years old, I got my honey uh, green tea uh, before I went in there. But, uh, you know, it's a good time. Good experience. My wife uh, had uh, had fun and never been in there. Never, never done it. Sounds like you Man, haven't been. I have not done it. A cat <laughs> cafe sounds like the worst place on earth to me, potentially. Like, I don't even. Oh, man. Just cats. Just random cats all around you. That just... They jump up on you. Cats don't care about personal space because, like, they jump up on your yeah. computer. They're all over. Like, they're everywhere, man. Yeah, I'm not. I don't <laughs> think that would be my spot. You know, to each their own, you mm. know. But um, even a place full of dogs, I feel like I don't even feel like I would like that. Just like a so dog you know to cafe. Fetch over there in Atlanta, you never did the Fetch Brewery where people take their dogs. Um, I think it's called Fetch, right? Isn't it Fetch? The park brewery and 
It's like mm. I'm down when you go to a brewery or something, yeah. and it's like a couple people brought their dog. Well, that know? one's like it's all like, dogs. Uh, like, yeah, but it's, it's a whole yeah, if like the whole thing is to bring dogs, it's like this is the activity is the mm. dogs. We can't be. How many things can we really be doing with like all these dogs around? You know, maybe maybe other dogs are, are better behaved than others, but um, mm. I don't know that uh, that whole thing just kind of doesn't seem like my my cup of tea. I don't know. Mm. What about Tori, though? Would she want to go to a cat cafe? No, definitely not. <laughs> I, I definitely don't see Tori wanting to go to uh, mm. we and We would want to go to the dog thing, probably, but we're just mm. like, we don't know how our dogs would do, you know? So it's like, we'd be nervous about our dogs, and you don't even have a good time because you're just, like, worried about your dogs, you know, and whatever. But, uh, yeah, we did do something this weekend, though. We went mm. to uh, Jim Gaffigan. Oh, uh, last night. So that was kind of fun. I never seen Jim Gaffigan before. So um, yeah, where at? It was. Oh man, I always forget what it's called. Um, the Cobb Galleria Energy, Energy Center, I think, is what it is. Well, there's not the, not the Galleria the one at Gwinnett. No, it's not Gwinnett Arena. The, the Cobb one has the same type of. It's hmm. like the same. It was. I Did it used confused. to be the Galleria. I don't think so. I I, hmm. I could be wrong, but um. I think it's been this for a while because we saw yeah. Bill Burr at the same place. Okay, there's Infinite Energy Center at some point, maybe. I'm not no, sure. No, that's the that's Gwinnett. Gwinnett. So was that's Infinite. Gwinnett. See, they yeah. they've changed the names, but uh, it's I don't think it's the gallery. I think it's something hmm. different. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was a good time. This is my birthday week, so it was oh, uh, it happy was early nice birthday. Little, there you go. When's your birthday? But, um, actually, Super Bowl Sunday is is oh, my okay. birthday. Super, so, Super Bowl's never on. been that's on not my your birthday, birthday week. No, your birthday week is not this week. You it's don't a seven day grace period, I think. Mm. You know, and uh, I think it applies. Does it? It's a Sunday though. That's you know, sort of a new week. a short month. You know, I'm gonna milk this week, so mm. you know, what, what can you do? Birthday week. What are you, Matt? Uh, you were no, a college but... age girl over here. Birthday week. Because <laughs> that was always weird. Because I remember people years ago. It's like my birthday week. What are you talking about? That's not a really a, a guy thing. No guy's ever been like, it's my birthday week. What What does that mean? You get the whole week? You get a week for that, the buildup. I don't know. I've never been a big yeah. birthday guy. Are you a big birthday guy? No, I'm not really a big birthday guy. And so I think it, t- it was also kind of like last minute. Tour, mm-hmm. like we sh- She got the tickets on like Thursday or Friday. It was like, oh, Jim Gaffigan's in town. Like, Well, she did surprise me. So I didn't know okay. who we were going to see. Oh, so this is a birthday gift. It was, but it was like a, it was a birthday gift, but it's like, it wasn't. But you made sure to tell her like, this doesn't count. Like, I appreciate you you hooking me up for this weekend. We had a good time, but this is not, if it's something that I've done with Chase in the past, it doesn't count. Yeah. Jim Gaffigan's on like a list of comedians. I have Mm. this, like, I would like to see him at some point, you know? So was he good? Yeah, he was good. His, uh, his opener. I don't know what the guy's name was. He mm. was he was whatever, but um yeah, Jim Gaffigan. He was uh I feel like he's got his own kind of shtick, you know. Yeah. And it was like that was funny. We had a- excellent seats. Okay, so his... got a shout out to Tori. It was a it was an excellent gift. Do you have any uh, hecklers, or was everybody pretty chill? No, no hecklers. Mm. I feel like Jim Gaffigan. He's like a clean comedian, so he doesn't mm. seem like the kind of guy that would. Like promote heckly hecklers, you know what I mean? I don't it's think any like comedian it promotes seems, hecklers. I know, but I feel like some some kind of attract. There you go. Mm. You may kind of talk some shit, and then it kind of gets other people to talk some shit. It's like mm. his his jokes all just seem so so lighthearted. Like that's like I don't know. The best thing he does is when he's like imitating the audience. You know, he's mm. like, 
I don't think this guy knows what he's talking. Like that little like soft thing he does. Mm-hmm. It's it's just he's a, he's a quality comedian. So um, yeah, it was it was it was a good show. I've uh, I think I told you when I went to L.A. years ago. Um, I saw that was one of my favorite because I I love stand up and I remember um, seeing I think I told you Norm and David Spade and um, Bill Burr who did a surprise set he wasn't advertised and then Dana Carvey who who's also advertised but um, Bill Burr got in a <laughs> this girl got she said something in the front row and that was it and that was a that was a rough back and forth uh, for a solid ten minutes where Bill Burr really. Uh, he he did not lose the the one on one with the heckler. I will put right, it to and that's why I don't yeah. get anyone who says anything at a comedy show. It's just yeah. like you're gonna match wits with someone who's on stage right now with a microphone. Mm. Like well, for one, also you have the a crowd's microphone. not even for you. The crowd's yes, also against you. The crowd you. is not on your side. They literally mm. came to see this guy. He's got mm. a microphone, so already his the message is gonna be louder, and it's just mm. gonna be heard better. It's like you're. You got to be pretty damn clever or I don't know something to to beat a comedian at that. I just if I ever get called on, I'm just I don't know. I don't want to make it. I don't want to be I don't want this to be about me. You just mm-hmm. you you do your thing. Keep doing your show. Are you and Tori both auditory laughers or are you just like that's funny? That was funny. I, I it's a no, I definitely if it's if it's funny, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll laugh. I do that too much sometimes where I'm like that was funny. Like, I don't like it that. Was, about, there is some funny. jokes, though, when you're sitting there. There's like, there's things that are funny that you like, it makes you smile. You know, mm-hmm. you're like, ah, that's. But then it's like, other people are just like dying at this. It's like, mm-hmm. that was a hilarious joke to you. It's like, that's something I he said. It was like, huh, yeah, that's funny. And so, like, that's Jim Gaffigan, where he smiles a lot. Crowd. Like, you're just smiling through a Jim Gaffigan show where he's like, that was nice. What a nice, nice evening. But I'm not, I don't think I'm ever going to just. Oh my God, that was a good one. I, I don't think it's ever gonna be me at a Jim Gaffigan show. I don't know. Like, were you in yeah, tears they, from laughing too hard ever? No, I don't. I wouldn't say I was laughing that yeah. hard, but there were some really, there were some really good parts. Like, yeah. I would say it was. A, and again, I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying he's not that kind of guy where you're like, and it hurts to laugh, and you're like, he's really, really just. It's one after the other where you're just like, I can't breathe because this is uh, this is funny. This is not that I'm some stand-up comedian expert, but I would put it in the in my experience of people I've seen live. I would put in like a step below like Aziz Ansari. Hmm. Like he was good. He was a good show. But I Aziz Aziz isn't the funniest comedian I've ever seen, but he was funny. And hmm. so they're they're kind of somewhere on that same level. Yeah, we saw Sebastian. You didn't believe, like, yeah, I, got I you definitely to go put see- him above both of those guys. Before he was big, we went in the Buckhead Theater, and he was a small little group, and people didn't really. He wasn't a big name at this point, and it was good. He was uh, now yeah, he's like that, the, was, that was a great show. I think he's like, I mean, he's probably the biggest selling comic right now. I mean, he's selling out MSG and kind of like the new the new Jerry Seinfeld in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, well, we got a couple more comedy shows over the next couple of months. We got tickets to already too. Ooh, so who else? I got we got Sam Marill tickets. Sam Marill. Week of the Clemson Georgia game last year. Both got COVID, missed it. Had to gave tickets to one of my friends, and he's like blown up since too. Had like a Netflix mm. special. He was actually open for Aziz Ansari that one show. And I was like mm. started following the dude after that because he was hilarious. But um. Yeah, we're seeing him, I think, in March, and then Nate Bargatze, we're seeing yeah. in uh, in May. He's he's blowing up too. So 
I love yeah. his bit about Disney World where I think have I sent you that one or have you seen that one where he's like, oh, well, if kids don't remember, I might as well just put him in the put him in the closet. Uh, yeah, you get a memory of this? Just look in the corner. Yeah, mm-hmm. he just has a new special out too. Though. That's 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 uh, pretty funny. There you go. I'll have to check that out. Um, well, that concludes the college or the uh, stand-up comedy <laughs> minute here there on the go. on the Chase Holmes podcast. Hey, it's the off season. That's what we do here on the off season. Um, Tennessee takes care of business in a rock fight against Auburn over the weekend. It would, bums me out. It's like Tennessee questionable just, call at the end of the game, or or no call, we should say. I just you go straight up, and I don't like when guys are going for the foul. Like his legs are going for it. It's like he's jumping in. He was like almost trying to get uh, Olivia Kamwa to catch him. Like I don't like that. Like That's when you're trying to win that way, because mm. he went he he went straight up, but he did kind of come into him in terms yeah. of like letting the guy letting the shooter come down. He was trying to draw the foul, but it was the flailing before the foul got there that it's like I don't want to give you the benefit of the yeah. doubt. I, it's kind of yeah, I know what you mean on that one. I was like, I was a little torn on it to be honest. I just wanted to give you shit for Well, it's also if you watch the whole game, fan. it's like he got called for it already. Like they got a technical cuz in college basketball they do the technical for flopping on shots and Auburn got one for sticking their legs out when they were landing multiple times. So I think it was one of those where you don't get the benefit of the doubt. And they should have known that going in where it's like, they're not going to call that because they've already gotten you for a technical for flopping on these shots before. So if you're going into that final shot, looking for a foul, just focus on shooting, like focus on getting a good shot up. And if they call it, they call it. But like, um, my gut was they were not going to do that, but it is what it is. That was, that was rough. But Tennessee beats Florida. They're number one uh, this week in the rankings. So I don't know where they'll fall. They'll probably be three or four or something, but I, I would be surprised if they're still number two. Uh, yeah, been a rough uh, rough couple games in a row for the Bulldogs. Well, we we saw that one coming, Matt Green. We, hey, we, but at least I was at a good one. So that's, You that's were at all. a good one. You timed that's it well. It you did. really – I don't know. Who, who beat them last – was it Auburn? Yeah, Auburn and then A&M just, just, just blasting them. But, you know, mm-hmm. you know it's year one. Yeah, we, uh, we'll see. I always think about uh, Frank Reynolds. He's like, you got to be blasting them. I'm like, oh, I was thinking, I hear his voice whenever he says blasting them. <laughs> um, always Sunny in Philadelphia, a show that always makes me laugh out loud. That is a show that I will laugh out loud uh, no matter how many times I watch it. Uh, Matt Green, Nigel the Nighthawk, has some stuff he wanted to uh, run by us here on the program. Before we get into our transfer portal winners, we got six teams who I wanted to highlight as winners here. Um, we'll do winners and losers over the next two weeks on this very program. Uh, check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash podcast. Like and subscribe. Full episodes, clips, all that good stuff popping up on our YouTube page. So if you're not already, make sure you're subscribed there uh, during the offseason. Uh, Matt and I will be doing these pods once a week uh, on Sunday night. So be ready in your podcast feed on Monday morning for that morning commute and all that good stuff. So make sure you're locked in, subscribed and looking out for the College Football Show uh, that I know so many of you guys uh, like listening to throughout the course of the regular season and playoffs and all that good stuff. So that's our schedule for college football uh, coverage here on the podcast going forward uh, in the offseason. But um, National Signing Day, uh, which is not a big deal anymore. National Signing Day, uh, <laughs> just it's not what Matt and I grew up, uh, grew up in. It's just it's kind of weird that it's just those days are long gone matt green it looks like there will be some changes at some point in the next couple of years but i don't think the february national signing day will ever be the thing i think if there are changes it seems like we'll get um an early one push back to like august or something before the year and then the second one being after the year because i just now i don't think we're one, gonna see it i've 
I've heard there's some pushback, and this is something I never even considered because mm. I, that's what I've always thought it should be. It should yeah. be we should get that one before the season, and then in like March or something, once all the NFL stuff, everything's mm. over. Like that's just sign then. Um, is high school coaches? Mm. If guys are already signed, like what that could potentially do to the high school, to their senior season in high school of like these guys have literally signed with the University of Alabama. There's no point in even playing my senior season Mm. in high school. I think you could definitely see that sort of thing kind of if guys are actually signed. It's one thing to be committed, but if you're like you once it's like a senior, you know, senioritis, Mm. once you've been accepted to to Harvard, there's literally no reason to do any of the other things in, in your your final however many months of school. You've been accepted to the college. So um, I don't know how much that would affect the NCAA's uh, you know, d- decision-making. I think it's got to be weighed in, but mm. that's, a, that's a repercussion that I hadn't even really considered until I heard someone um, bring that up recently. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that either. And I wonder, part of – it's just it's, it's not going to be – I don't think we're going to find a one shoe fits all kind of deal here. Like, I don't think anyone's going to be completely happy with coaches, players, universities on national signing day, because the portal and everything else where like numbers are affected, where classes start in early January for a lot of folks. And if you're transferring, like now transfers play a role in national signing day, they play a huge role for a lot of schools where you'll see some classes have like 30 something kids and others have like six right now um because they're just clearing cleaning up so much in the portal that it's just i think because they have to get settled in a lot of these kids even start and enroll in uh early january so they're enrolling early a lot of these kids are graduating early and starting because you you don't want to get behind like that's the other part of it is like you need to be ready for spring walkthroughs getting the weight room getting the conditioning program the nutrition nutrition program and it's just it's all expedited but then i think like the Aaron carters of the world benefit from national signing day being after this the early portion being after the season because like aaron carter ended up being a four borderline five-star linebacker he like started the year as a running back matt green was like committed to memphis uh out of tennessee and then he became a guy where alabama was dying to get him and locked in as a linebacker in this class because he played so well and flashed so much as a senior at linebacker in this new position and tennessee was able to hold on and keep him but like that's the kind of stuff that even the senior years can make or break these kids. So it's like, even if that's the, that's maybe one of the issues of pushing up an early signing day, because if they had done that, like it's totally different. He had already signed his letter of intent to Memphis to play running back. He doesn't blow up like that. And he doesn't have this opportunity to play sec football and show like, you know what I mean? So I don't know if that will ever happen either because there are these kids senior year, they pop and are completely different prospects going from three to five star three to four whatever and they need to play to move up but like you said the the ones who and i think it's mostly quarterbacks where like nico didn't move up really all that much by putting on some senior year tape um this year or arch didn't need to play his senior year to uh change his ranking or where he was going but i think for a lot a lot of kids they need that big senior year because their offers change on a dime depending on how they how they finish out. Well, a lot of them definitely need it for sure. And I mean, mm. it's it's definitely a, a something that would happen with the with the elite of the elite mm. in the country. But um, you know, those high school football programs are like this is this is our state this is our state championship team. We have a mm. we have a D one running back this year. So 
Yeah, I mean, and that's just one aspect of it. So it's, um, you know, who, who knows where it, where it goes from there. For sure. Um, the big one, though, or big two that we were wondering about was Juice Robinson, who not who does not take um, who uh, Deuce Robinson. Excuse me. I keep calling him Juice. There's a wrestler named Juice Robinson. Deuce oh. Robinson. Um, people were wondering if he was going to wind up at Georgia along with uh, the other tight end who ended up going to Georgia. Is that correct? Did no, he get... committed to USC. That, okay, that's uh, that the one who's tight... taking the mission trip for yes. two years, right? Is it Walter uh, Lyons? Walker, is that a... Walker Wal- Lyons, I believe is his yeah. name. So Georgia doesn't get either. Um, I mean, it's still wait and see with uh, Robinson, but he's not going to commit. Um, well, Deuce as- Robinson's a big-time baseball player, apparently. Yeah. So he wants to see when he gets drafted, I guess, mm-hmm. potentially actually be a professional baseball player. So I guess he's that good at baseball. But according to Steve Wiltfong, mm-hmm. like if he signs with someone, it's he still thinks Georgia's the favorite. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, if he plays baseball, yeah, that's a whole nother, that's a whole other story. That's weird too, because like, I guess it doesn't matter at Georgia, like you said, if he does wind up at Georgia, because it's not like he was going to play as a freshman anyway. Um, they have this, they have a rotation and they have a, uh, it's a very deep position at the University of Georgia right now. Um, so it's one of those where if he does not go through spring workouts and enroll early and do all that, it's like, mm, it doesn't really matter because he wasn't really going to be counted on to play. It's going to be Delp and Bowers running the running the show there at the tight end spot as a freshman. So well, if he Georgia does sign, I think two of the top like eight tight ends in the country yeah. without Deuce Robinson. So he was just going to kind of be the, the cherry on top. He is the number one ranked uh, tight end in the country. Mm. Georgia did get a, I want to say Ellis Robinson, I believe number one corner in the country yeah. for the 2024 class on signing day. So the fourth, it's, um, Ellis Robinson, the fourth. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all have so, a thing for the fourth. The Bennett, hey, I, hey whatever works. I'm, uh, I'm all for it. But um, yeah, this signing, like you said, I think I saw a stat that five of the top 24/7 were uncommitted mm-hmm. going into a national signing day and a quote unquote national signing day. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's not what it once was. Um, I was glad I got to at least experience it one time before it like changed forever. I love Jaden Rashada. To- Arizona State, though. Uh, you get Drew Pine this year as a bridge guy uh, for Kenny Dillingham in year one, but I kind of like that. I like identities. Like, I like conference identities, Matt Green. And the SEC is just talent identity now, where you look at the map where <laughs> just the amount of uh, t- top two, four, seven sports uh, recruits for this 2023 class, how many of them sign with STC schools, which is just insane. And, like, the Big Ten didn't do well when you look at it. I forgot the actual... Uh, full-on uh, graph showing it but you're like man this collection of talent in the southeast is just completely different than anywhere else in the country and that's their identity but like the pac-12 has developed an identity matt green they're just like we're qbu like all the good like you think about it alabama gets their quarterback from the west coast tennessee gets their quarterback from the west coast um georgia right now doesn't but i mean jt daniels was thought to be that guy and they went uh west coast qb hunting um not too long ago and that's where a lot of these guys are but then they all uh, dj goes back Jaden rashada doesn't end up at florida he ends up at arizona state you look around the league like dante moore um at ucla um we'll see what happens with uh the kid who's rumored to be favoring uh georgia now who was originally committed to uh ohio state what is it rayoli rayola yeah rayola i think he's yeah. what from arizona 
I think so. But a lot of these kids are West Coast kids. Like the five-star quarterbacks seem to be coming more and more out of the West Coast, which is interesting to monitor. And if they these Pac-12, that's like the way for the Pac-12 basically to stay relevant, right? Like that was something I was thinking about where I'm like, that is how they stay relevant with the talent, the dearth of talent they have compared to the average SEC school. The way you kind of overcompensate and have a chance is if you have a Heisman type quarterback, because then you're like, all right, well, if he has the game of his life, there is a possibility that they could hang with them because they have that kind of special quarterback. And you look up and down the Pac-12 right now, they've done a great job developing quarterback depth, but also just these are going to be some loaded quarterback. Like, con- like this is just going to be a loaded quarterback conference. And it's not just the right now, but it's the future. And they've done a done a really good job. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what the arms race looks like um, at quarterback in the Pac-12 because it seems like that's where they've kind of found their groove is like, hey, um, we're not going to be the SEC in, uh, unless you're Oregon because Oregon is getting a lot of these guys. But outside of Oregon, um, yeah, we're Oregon got to... that quarterback from Alabama. All right, that's uh, yeah. he's he was born and raised down in Southeast. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I uh, I think it's pretty interesting. What do you think of the uh, the QBU identity that the Pac-12 is kind of establishing here, Matt Green? I mean, they got to do something. I think that's the biggest difference just in the last you know decade plus of what the Pac-12 has been is that. It got so bad in that conference that USC wasn't even keeping the elite talent home. Yeah. And you were just seeing so many elite prospects through the years just leave the West Coast altogether. It's like Oregon had, you know, their kind of years of, of taking some of that elite talent from California. But it's like they weren't keeping a lot of it either. A lot of it mm-hmm. was just leaving the, the West Coast altogether. So, yeah, we know there's talent out in California. So if, if that conference can keep some of it and obviously – UCLA and USC might take some of that talent with them yeah. to the Big Ten, but um, you know it's and and who else you know might join the big the Big Ten? Who knows what what happens with all that? But yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a, a bright future. I think we've we've talked about it a lot. Uh, you know, this past year, how good the Pac-12 was, and mm. with what they're bringing back in 2023, it's 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 going to be one of the best conferences in in college football. I think next year, I would agree. Um, Bama. Over the last week, they've been busy. Nick Saban has been busy, Matt Green. They make a new DC and OC hire, sir. Kevin Steele leaves Miami. So Miami is now down an OC and a DC heading into year two. For Mario Cristobal in that group, kind of weird. Uh, kind of something to monitor as a college football fan. What's going to go on with Miami this offseason? But Tommy Reese, who like two years ago had that video that someone posted of him like my heart is here uh to the players because he was a Notre Dame uh guy and um Mm. my heart was in Notre Dame and I I know he loves it but the pull of Nick Saban was too much for Tommy Reese to say no and Tommy Reese the Notre Dame alum OC for the last couple years stayed on I know Brian Kelly tried to hire him um when he first got the LSU job and bring him over he selected to stay at his alma mater with Marcus Freeman, he's now out. And we'll get into how this affects Sam Hartman, who just transferred to Notre Dame and to basically play because it, it, uh, Marcus Freeman is a defensive-minded guy. He's not calling plays. Like, he came for Tommy Reese, and that opportunity to play for him <laughs> is now out the door. So we'll see what happens there. But um, it's interesting. I didn't have either of these two being the two guys that uh, Bama ultimately ended up with. I think this is pretty surprising. I don't. I think some of the takes it's interesting to see around the league. Bama fans don't seem all that enthralled by both hires. But where are you at with Bama choosing Kevin Steele 
to take over uh, the defense here from Pete Golding and Tommy Reese to take over the offense. Well, I hope this doesn't undercut my entire opinion, but mm. Nick Saban knows a little bit more about football than I do. I just want to, mm. I just want to, I just want to put that out there to start with. So I trust that he knows what he's doing. I'll just say that from mm. from jump from the jump. Tommy Reese just seems was very surprising when I first heard it. Like mm. it's not that it's a bad hire, but it's like you look at Notre Dame's offense the last couple of years, and it's like. That's not what I was expecting Alabama to get. Like, for mm. Alabama to be like, oh, what they're doing up there? Yeah, bring that down to Tuscaloosa. But, obviously, Alabama's got way better players than Notre Dame. I don't necessarily know that what the quarterback situation is, but, you know, I trust it's going to be better than what Notre Dame was. We know what we know Al- the way Alabama's recruited, uh, the offensive line, the skill players, like, all of that. It's, it's going to be better than what Notre Dame is doing. So, that's going to make any offensive coordinator's job easier right off the bat. But... I mean, we talked about some of those names, like the the Scott Frosts of the world, like just some of these kind of bigger names, like the rehabilitation pr- clinic that uh, coaching clinic that that Tuscaloosa has been. I, I kind of expected one of those bigger names, a guy who's been a head coach, coming the, the next time through to be a coordinator. That's why Tommy Reese just kind of surprised me. Like, it's not that it's a bad hire, and like you said, Brian Kelly tried to get this guy last year. I think Brian Kelly and Nick Saban are two of the four, five best coaches in college football. And if they want him as offensive coordinator, I imagine he knows what he's doing. Kevin Steele, on the other hand, it's like he see, he feels like such a retread, you know? And mm-hmm. so that's why I feel like Alabama fans, they're, this is just, you know, un, un um, what am I trying to say? Uncharted territory for Alabama mm-hmm. fans. Like they're just not used to like, going and getting the regular hire. It's like we we hit a home run with every hire. We get Jeremy mm. Pruitt as our DC when Kirby Smart leaves us. It's like- We get Lane Kiffin. Exactly, we get Lane Kiffin, we get Steve Sarkeesian, mm-hmm. like these Bill O'Brien, guys who've been NFL head coaches. Like, mm. And to get a guy like Kevin Steele, who was really good at Auburn, he, mm-hmm. like for a five, six year period there. I mean, I think he's been at Auburn multiple he was times. A good but, interim head coach at but, Tennessee for for a couple of weeks there in January <laughs> after the Jeremy Pruitt firing. People I think we'll all that. remember the Kevin Steele Tennessee tenure. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so that. he has been a good DC, but it just doesn't feel like the 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 home run grand slam hire that every that every uh, Nick Saban hire seems to be. So I think that's why Alabama fans are probably sitting here like, what is what is this? Are we just like a regular good program now? Are we not just like head and shoulders the best? What's going on? I think that's the best way of looking at it is like, if any other school like hired Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele as your DC and OC combination, you're like, that worked out pretty well. Like for most schools would take that. Like most schools would be like, it's pretty solid. It's a good foundation. I trust both those guys. I don't know if they're the elite of the elite, but I mean, they're probably top 15 in both sides. Like, I would say uh, you could do way worse than either of those two uh, running co- the offense or defense. And coaching Alabama's players, I think, yeah. is going to make both of those coaches look a lot better than maybe they've ever been. I do think it's funny, though, where, like, Bama fans were – it seemed like they were just so unanimous in wanting to move on from both Golding and especially Bill O'Brien. They were upset with Bill O'Brien this year, all year. I think – I don't know how you look at it any other way where I'm like – I think it's a downgrade, right? Like, I think Tommy Reese is not better than Bill O'Brien. Like, Bill O'Brien has never had a bad offense. You go through Houston, the issues with Houston and Bill O'Brien was not the offense. 
it was him getting personnel control and making a lot of bad trades. Like that was the issue. It was never like what his offenses and were. And apparently rubbing people the wrong way kind yeah. of in Houston as a personality types thing. But it was X and O's and like he knows offense. Like the offenses were good. This Bama team was top six in offense this year. This was not an issue. Tommy Reese has never sniffed a top six offense. Like you said, he's never played with Alabama players, but Notre Dame's recruited well. It's not like they haven't had a bunch of talent. I think what it signifies to me bringing Kevin Steele and Tommy Reese is Nick Saban's like pivoting. Nick Saban's going, we've done a lot of the fun stuff, a lot of the score a bunch of points, flashy Alabama football. I've adapted with Tua and Bryce Young and company. We're going back to the A.J. McCarron era. Ty Simpson is going to be A.J. McCarron 2.0. We are going to run the ball down your throats because that's what Notre Dame has done over the years. They've had good running backs. They play ball control. They play very physical brand of football. Um, at Notre Dame, Brian Kelly did that. Marcus Freeman just did that this past year. They play really strong defense. We're going to build from our offensive line. Like Notre Dame has pumped uh, pumped out a bunch of NFL players in the offensive line. They're they've developed really well there. Tight ends they develop really well. I think they're pivoting. I think this signals to me is saving like, nope, too flashy. I'm going back to what won me a lot of football games early on, and we are going to play ball control offense. Kevin Steele is just going to be a guy. We're going to have a very physical tenacious defense we're not going to give up a bunch of points we're not going to play with a bunch of tempo we are going to just put our best players out there keep the ball control and out physical you and make your life a living hell that's what this signifies to me is they're going back to the old school to me matt green i mean that would be pretty that would be pretty radical if he's if he was really going old school like i mean if you talk like if if, if what you're saying is true then that means Nick Saban is looking at Georgia and Kirby Smart and saying, like, that's what we need to be doing. I think that's what he is. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think Kirby that's what he's Smart doing. basically built Georgia the way Alabama used to be built. Yes. And Alabama's like, we should go back to way the way Georgia's doing it. We don't it, have the way to play we flashy. To we have be. better players than anybody else. We're, we're going to play that. I mean... Obviously, Georgia's won two national championships two years in a row, mm. but there's not there's nothing about Alabama's style that is preventing them from winning national championships. I mean, they just did it in 2020 with, you know, the the number one offense in college football. Like, I don't know if they were number one overall points per game. I want to say they were. Wait, who was? Alabama in 2020. Uh, yes, they were. Like, I mean, that's in 2020 just, with Mac Jones, they were. Yeah, that's just two years ago, and mm. and and with Tua like setting setting records in the SEC in 2018. Obviously, got blasted by Clemson in the national championship, but like they made the national championship game. So I feel like that would, there's no, especially you look at Georgia, like there's no reason to go back to AJ McCarron days. Like you just have to fix the defense. Like Georgia, if anything, Georgia is, is getting more in the, the, the tempo and the, the, the more high up, uh, high tempo offense and everything but just still playing elite defense and, and never gave up running the ball, always, always being a complimentary type style. So it's not like Alabama has to go back to the A.J. McCarron days, the Greg McElroy days. Like you just, you have to start playing elite defense again. I think that's, that's the biggest difference. It's like you, because Alabama's, it's never going to be a bad thing to be dropping 45 points on somebody. Like, I mean, that's still, but Alabama the last few years, they've been, They've been good defensively. They're just not used to being good. They're used to being elite defensively. So they like Golding's had some, you know, tenth ranked defenses, fifteenth ranked defenses that are like, I think that's really good. 
like me and my brother were going through it. I, I think about like the Mark Rick Rick days, like mm. think about 2011 and 2012. You're like, oh yeah, those were years we had like a great defense, and like Georgia had like the 20th ranked defenses those years. It's like we had no idea what elite even was back then. It's like Alabama defense, it's truly elite, and so when they're only really good everyone's calling for the guy's job. So I think what this honestly says to me, these hires kind of going back, is maybe Golding really did just leave on his own and Alabama didn't have a plan of how to replace him because not that Kevin Steele's not a good Same hire. Same is true with Bill O'Brien, by the way, I would say. Yeah, and, and maybe these guys just felt the pressure and kind of felt pushed out. I mean, but Bill O'Brien, didn't he didn't take another job, did he? No, yeah, he took the Patriots job. He's the Patriots offensive coordinator. Oh, he's Patriots OC. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, they, they could have just been blindsided. Like, it was mm. kind of painted as, oh, Alabama wants to move on. They're mm. going to go find an, a new job, and they'll, and they'll replace them. But, because they have that yeah. cachet. Like, they had yeah. that cachet to be like, oh, they were ready to move on, and they were going to go get Joe Brady and uh, whoever, and we're going to do bring Jeremy Pruitt back in, and we're going to co-DC Jeremy Pruitt and, like, I don't know, insert uh, elite defense. Like, Dave Aranda's going to resign <laughs> from Baylor, and he's going to be the co-DC with whatever. But it's like, then you see the report that he inter- he flew to Saban and Bama flew to Washington, right, to interview their OC Grubb, yeah. who's been with Kalen DeBoer forever, and you're like, oh, the big names aren't coming. The Joe Brady's and the Cliff Kingsbury's are not coming. And there was Grantham talk, and then yeah. he took the job with the Saints. It's like, who knows if he was really offered the job? You know, you never really know. And I'm not making a prediction here. Yeah. And I want that to be clear. But if you remember 2015, mm. Brian Schottenheimer at, with, with Georgia, it basically signified the end of Mark Rick's tenure. And, you know, maybe that's not fair to Brian Schottenheimer. Maybe he just got one year, and Georgia didn't have great talent at quarterback. No, we have a whole decade-plus of Brian Schottenheimer offenses. For sure. Everyone's they're, got their opinion of, of Brian Schottenheimer. But mm. Nick Saban, like, this isn't his offense, right? So I feel like it's – for him to be changing it up, like, with, with Kiffin and Sarkeesian, it felt like a lot of kind of overlap, like it's same – same stylistic type thing, Bill O'Brien, just like kind of a lot of the same blood at least. Tommy Reese seems completely different. So it, it this feels like super important to get this higher right because like you look at, not that the, any pressure is on Nick Saban on the hot seat or anything, mm-hmm. but just in terms of what Alabama wants to continue to be moving forward, like this, these offensive skill players were not what Alabama always has like yeah. every year like these receivers were very subpar for alabama standards jameer gibbs was a baller until whatever happened kind of down the stretch uh he kind of became less involved in the game plan he's gone right he's to the nfl so it's like bryce young is gone this offense is going to look very different and it doesn't like as 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 amazing as the recruiting stars have been because like the next three years i i mean no I should say these past three classes, 23, 22, and 21, like they're three of like the top seven classes in like 24 seven history. So like, Mm -hmm. I think there's 19 five stars. Obviously some of those are on defense, but like these classes are loaded, but we haven't necessarily seen the same level of like elite talent for in Alabama's like skill players, like obviously excluding Bryce Young, he was a baller, but you know, so I think that there's a there's a low key a lot of pressure on Tommy Reese coming in to kind of really you know put his identity on this offense. It's never great when like Tim Brown, the legend, said, "quote After the hire to Bama, this is a great day for Irish football 
and maybe even a better day for Tommy Reese. I've been around a lot of offenses, but the Irish Irish offense last year, with maybe the exception of the North Carolina game, was extremely predictable. Seeing the offense struggle uh, told me um, at least two things. One, Tommy was very dependent on Kelly, and more important, he didn't have the ability to dissect a defense. What we saw is what I call hero ball. You have a player, uh, Meyer, as he's talking about here, who is better than the person covering, and you throw him the ball a zillion times. Wow. Like, it, it's never good. That's from Tim you, Brown? Yeah, Tim Brown tweeted all that. And I just... Tim Brown doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would just, you know, just run his mouth either. Yeah. He seems like a real thoughtful uh, guy. And I think he wants the best for Notre Dame football. And he's like, mm, this is probably this the best. Is a win. Like this, wow. like he's, I don't think it's great when Notre Dame fans are like, oh, we can revamp this offense now. Who can we get? Who can we get to... Uh, take over this offense with Sam Hartman and company. Like, I think this is, if it wasn't Bama, man, I think everybody would be like, I, I don't know. I think this is a step back. I think the hires on both sides, there is a real possibility this is a step back for both. This is a huge gamble for Nick Saban to bet on Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele in 2023 because Notre Dame's offense, Matt, do you remember who they lost to at home this past year? They lost to Marshall, right? Marshall and Stanford. Oh, the Stanford. That's that was probably worse than Marshall. That's what I'm saying. Like this, I, I don't know, man. Like I, I'm surprised that Nick Saban and Bama couldn't do better than both of these two. And I think both are fine. You could even say you could sell me on Kevin Steele's an A minus DC. I think you could sell me on that A A minus. I wouldn't say he's an A plus, but like A or A minus. Reese is like a solid, like best case scenario with Bama players, B. But I would say he's more towards the C, C plus range. And I don't know, man. This this is going to be fascinating. I'm way more interested. You know what's never great? When the rivals of your fan base or of other fan bases are like, I'm not as scared about playing Bama anymore. Like I'm not as fr- afraid of Josh Heupel no, having to match Tommy Reese. I'm not I as concerned about that. I wouldn't go crazy, though. I think Kevin Steele has been a very good DC. Yeah, but the offense, like, we- are they going to score enough? Are they going to be able to score enough? But I think there's only a few teams that mm-hmm. can that can play that that style of D of yeah. you know ground and pound pl- physical no ex- turnovers run it down your throats that sort of exactly. thing exactly you just have to recruit a certain level of athlete to be able to even consider playing that style mm-hmm. and Alabama does get those type players so I, I'm not gonna just rule it out like but it's clear that they didn't have a direction either right because that's the under talked about thing for me and this last thing we'll touch on it before we move on but like. He went over to Grub at, at UW. They run the air raid. Like, they go, got points, That's points, so points, points, points. For him to pivot from him to Tommy Reese tells me there was no, like, ideological plan here, right? Like, he didn't have, like, one kind of offensive philosophy that he was zoned in on and wanting to... This... I don't know, man. I think that's something to consider, too, is that Washington's offense is very, very different than what Notre Dame's running. However, there is something to be said for the quarterback play that Notre Notre Dame's had the last couple years. It's just been pretty awful. Like, it's... I don't... Obviously, a, a coach can make quarterbacks look better, but... Sometimes if the talent's not there, the talent's not there. So yeah. it's like you so may, we'll you know, maybe Tommy with- Reese has a certain philosophy that he just wasn't even able to implement because of the the lack of personnel at Notre Dame. So you, you never know. 
Um, Texas and Oklahoma, we do know, it looks like, are not going to make the jump to the SEC until 2025, Matt Green. Does this excite you? What does this mean for Texas, Oklahoma? Do you think they even get a Big 12 win uh, championship in the next two years? Like, I think there's this is going to be interesting to monitor, and I'm glad. Like, we're going to get three years, or no, two years, of Texas and OU in the Super Big 12. I think this is going to be fun. I'm glad we're at least getting two. I'm a year-by-year guy. This is going to be fun. I'm, I'm with you there because the one year is just going to be like, I don't know. You remember that one year of the Big 12 was just mm-hmm. like 16 teams and it was just or 14, whatever it is. Yeah. Like the fact that we get two years, it's like, that's like an era. It's like mm-hmm. that, there, there was that, that one, that the one era where we just had the super Big 12 there for a couple of years. But um, yeah, honestly, I think, I think we're all, they're going to watch this play for two years and be like, what the hell did we just do? Like this, mm-hmm. this conference was going to be so much fun. And mm-hmm. Oklahoma and Texas are the Big Twelve, so it's just gonna it's gonna take a lot of getting used to with, with them being SEC teams. I just I I've tried to figure out like obviously I'm not an investigatory journalist by any means, mm-hmm. but I've been just trying to figure out like why did this fall through? Like or why are they not able to to jump ship early basically mm. and and everyone just says like tv contract oh the negotiations couldn't figure out you know wait and i just don't think oklahoma and texas wanted to figure out a way to jump out early honestly i think with what oklahoma in 2021 oklahoma been like hell yes let's jump right now let's go to the sec tomorrow and right now today oklahoma is like you know, I don't know. If we want to rush anything. Let's 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 take it easy. Let's uh, let's work on let's work on us. You know, before we uh, before we join the SEC. So I don't know. I don't think there's much uh, motivation to make it happen. But it'll be a, it'll be a fun couple years. Yeah, I also think it's just oh, Ross Dellinger who does great uh, speaking of investigator uh, investigatory uh, journalism. Uh, it's a weird thing to say um, fast, but. Um, he does really great reporting for SI.com and he had tweeted this on the third quote, Texas and OU and big 12 legacy schools agree they should split early yet. An agreement hasn't happened inside the mess colon, how TV networks control the fate of negotiations quote. We sold our souls to the devil says 180, but we love our TV paycheck. There it is. I mean, they're pretty much running the sport. And I think that's why a lot of people, if, if TV networks are going to run the sport, then it's like, let's at least have multiple networks running the sport and not just mm-hmm. one network running the sport. That would that would probably be more ideal. But yeah, that's that, I guess that answers it right there. Man, I um, that's just it's just kind of crazy um, to think about. But yeah, we'll see what happens. But uh, Gonzaga is still rumored to be. Uh, back a big 12 joiner for uh for basketball we'll see what the big 12 looks like following us i'm still more optimistic about the future of the big 12 after the texas ou exit than i am the pac 12 like once usc and ucla dip i still just think it's gonna get it's gonna get murky and i just refuse to believe that it's just gonna be two california schools and the big 10 by themselves with nobody else and they're just having to play this crazy travel schedule like you're just you're not going to sell me on that being the final two there's just no way i just i think the pac-12 is now up against it because they're going to pull a couple more the mer- like cal and stanford are making the big 10 at the bare minimum like i just i don't see a path that they don't get in there too 
Yeah, it just, it doesn't make sense. It's, oh man, I don't want to be a old man yelling at clouds, but. Um, but I think all college football fans, like even like when you hear there's the There's a region, this sport is, is broken up regionally. Yeah. And I think everyone agrees, but it's like everything comes down to like, well, just the money. You're like, okay, so it's just, that's it. No one's actually happy with any, any of these yeah. decisions. Like I think even UCLA and UC, USC are like, no, if the money was the same, we would probably, like I guarantee you they would say, we're obviously gonna, obviously gonna stay in the big, the Pac-12. Like, if the money's the same and all that kind of stuff, like, yeah. But it's yeah, not w- without a doubt. And what Kevin Warren is that his name? Yeah, who's and now like, gone? In this guy, yeah, just like <laughs> brings in this monumental, just landscape changing uh, of college sports. It's like I'm gonna go uh, work for the Bears now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't even they, they don't have a commission right now, which tells me though things are gonna slow down for a while. I think this is it for for a little bit of time once texas and ou make the jump and usc and cal may or usc and um ucla make the jump i think we're gonna have uh fingers crossed uh several years of normalcy uh yeah props to the big 12 for at least like acting the way they did and mm. getting four really solid programs to mm. to replace obviously they're two juggernauts not nowhere close to any of those programs in terms of history but you know Definitely, definitely improved like the overall strength of the conference. And they were like, they found it like, comes back to identity, man. They found their identity, their basketball. Like they are a basketball first conference now and they are loading up. Memphis will probably eventually make the jump. Gonzaga. Like they're like, mm, football is probably out of reach now with Texas and OU dipping out of here. We're not going to catch the SEC in the big 10. So what we're going to do is we're going to build a super basketball conference and win that way. And I think well, it's, it's like strategy. Oklahoma had what <clears throat> three or four of, playoff appearances texas mm. had zero once they leave i mean tcu's got one and they even have a win and cincinnati's got one so you know the the big 12 still got a little bit of history there for sure uh matt green transfer portal winners uh the main event here on this edition of the program um i got a couple for you we got six here and we'll do our losers next week uh, now the portal's closed up until uh, May when you get a two-week window after spring practice and all that, and we'll see who enters. But I don't think it's going to be that many compared to what we just saw um, for December to January um, at this point. But um, Matt Green, some winners for – I think we have to start here with the biggest winner for me. And the biggest winner is FSU, I think, in the portal. I don't think anybody did better than FSU. That's one of the biggest ways that uh, Mike Norvell has really rebuilt – this program at FSU. He's recruited really well of late. I mean, he almost had Travis Hunter, uh, the number one kid uh, in the class uh, last year. Obviously, a last-minute swing to uh, Jackson State and is now on his way to Colorado, but um, he's done well. Man, Jared that Burst. feels like ancient history, and he was committed yeah. for so long, too. Mm. And now you have Jared Verse, who looks like he's going to be a top 10 pick in the draft um, when he comes out next year. He's been, he was a great find in the Northeast uh, that was not on a lot of folks' radar. And then you go through it, man. Matt, like, that's who I've really, really um, just been impressed by what they have been able to do. Florida State has just collected so much talent here. Um, I want to pull some of the biggest names here uh, in a second, but you get Kazia Holmes from Penn State. Jaheim Bell is a big one from South Carolina, which was a stunner to a lot of folks. You get Kyler Morlock also, so they're just building T tight end you. That's who Tennessee really wanted, the shorter kid. He was uh, one of the big ones 
from this class, this transfer class, which is funny to say there really is a transfer class now. Um, and then the other big one for me, Ventral Cyphers, uh, the second from UVA coming in conference, who was a lockdown corner at Virginia this past year. I, I just love what they've done. I think they're already contenders to make the playoff um, going into the year with Jordan Travis and company coming back, Benson and all that. But they're loaded, man, and they have just cleaned up in the portal. And I think if you're a Florida State fan, you're really excited because it's always going to be easy to recruit in the state of Florida when you're a Florida school. And now to maximize the just the transfer portal the way Norvell has, I think is very impressive. And I'm very – I just – I can't say enough glowing remarks about what – he has done in Tallahassee and how quickly he's turned this thing around and they should be right there with Clemson going into next year as the co-favorites to win the ACC and make the the college football playoff I think they're in an incredible position to do so yeah I agree completely they got a like you said Fintrell Cypress he's the fourth Mm. ranked player according to 24-7 in the portal they have three of the top 15 guys Mm. in the portal committed um so you know, for whatever those rankings are worth, you know, they, they, they tell us a little bit of something. Try to make sense of this crazy world that is the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. But I've obviously, we, we've talked at length about uh, Jaheim Bell. He's a, yeah. he's just a, a Swiss army knife, the way they can use him. I think he really sets off their offense. I think, like you said, the 2023 for Florida State, this is, it wasn't the quickest rebuild, though, I mm. will say. It, it took a little bit of patience. Um, but with what Florida State's been the last few years, they, they needed some patience. So, uh, yeah, Florida State, this could uh, this could be the year. I think they could, they're going to be preseason. I think what six, seven, like they're they're definitely they're preseason top there. ten next year for sure. Top ten, I think they'll be somewhere. And I mean, sell me on five, six. I don't know. I guess it depends on where they put Clemson. I think the um, Orange Bowl soured a lot of people on on. But the they K also had a Garrett Riley. That's fair. I think the Cade Klubnik era was mm. was looking a lot a lot hotter after that ACC championship win. But um, hate to see it. Was that a Tennessee win? Was that a Tennessee blowout win, Matt Green? Is that who won? I can't I can't remember who won that. Uh, the mm. orangest of all Orange Bowls. But um, yeah, I think that uh, that that definitely dampened the expectations a little bit on, on Clemson. So Florida State feels like they have the momentum coming in and. This is this is what you're able to do. Not only bring in a good signing class, but just be able to bring in some dudes that are ready just to play right from day one. Uh, give me a winner for you, Matt Green, that you that you've been impressed with uh, this cycle. I mean, I think you have to look at Colorado before anybody. Mm. It's just <laughs> it's just absurd what Colorado is doing mm. in the transfer portal. 24 guys they've gotten committed and obviously travis hunter the number one player uh from mm-hmm. t- the 2022 class uh coming with dion from jackson state but i think this is why dion had to have that conversation that he had when he walked into that that <laughs> that complex he's like i'm i'm bringing the groceries with me i don't know whatever his uh mm-hmm. his term was but it was like yeah, I'm going to bring in a lot of players. I did not recruit one guy in this room right now. <laughs> you might want to look somewhere else. Uh, and I'm sure some of those guys took that as a personal challenge and, you know, are going to try to stick it out at Colorado. But, um, yeah, th- they needed a, a complete overhaul of the roster, and, and this, is a, this is a pretty good start. Shador Sanders, I'm very, very intrigued by seeing what he looks like in the Power 5 level. Like, this is a huge jump. Like, he's a four-star kid, very talented, but it, it's – I mean, it's one thing to go from G5 to Power 5. He's going from um, FCS 
to power five. Like this is a yeah. huge jump. And that's the other thing too. Like you talk about the players, there's a lot of Jackson state players who made the jump. Like there's a lot of Jackson state players who followed him. So it's like, yeah, he got in a lot of transfers, but these are a lot of FCS kids that he's bringing in. You have a Missouri state in here. You have uh, several Kent state guys because he brought like Sean Lewis, who was the head coach at Kent state. So he brought in some of those guys, a lot of transfers, but it's like, when you look past Travis Hunter, then you're like, all right, I mean, yeah, Kendrick Breedlove from Ole Miss. We'll see how he is. Miles Slusher from uh, Arkansas. Um, you get a linebackers from Clemson and Alabama who didn't really play, Kennedy and Bentley. But, like, I mean, the ba- vast majority are small schools, FCS guys, and then you have the huge just let's see what happens here with Shador Sanders where he'll uh, define a lot of this class. But Travis Hunter, we know is going to be awesome um, and he'll translate like he was going to be a power five player no matter what. But like Jimmy Horn, I'm curious about Um, really talented kid. Jimmy Horn, uh, his father being a legendary saints and NFL receiver. He's coming in from USF. Um, Very interested there, but like Cavosier smoke was not good at Kentucky. Like, I don't think he's going to really move the needle. And even when you say the number 20, what was it? 24 Matt green. Is it 24, yeah, 24 total? Okay. Yeah. I think Dion is doing a great job here right out of the gate. Like Kermani McLean's coming in here. He gets the number one DB in back-to-back classes um, to follow him to where he's coaching. Like Dion is going to recruit well. I think if he stays at Colorado, Colorado will be a juggernaut um, in college ball the next three to four years. This is still not going to be a talented roster. Like you're going to have some talented players on this roster but the vast majority are still those guys who are sticking around from the Carl Durrell 11 and one season or 11 and 11 season. Like that's still the vast majority of these players who really were rough. Like this situation was pretty rough the last couple of years uh, in Boulder. It's going to take time. Like I believe in what Dion's doing and I believe in Dion the coach. I just think people will see that and like the transfer turnover and then he signs Cormani McLean and this class looks really good. And you have some 2024 and 2025 kids committing and it looks great. Like those are all promising. I just think people who are expecting like eight, nine wins or whatever for this Colorado team, because they cleaned up in the portal a little bit. I'm like, I still think if they make a bowl game, he did a great job in year one. I think it's going to be tough. That schedule is not easy. And I still think the roster, you have the bright spots, the young upside, the Shadors and the Travis Hunters and company. But like, I don't think the players are there to, because the Pac-12 is loaded. Um, a quarterback play and good players and their non-conference schedule isn't easy. So I don't know. I think they did well, but I also think people might be a little overzealous on how well, like they didn't do better than Florida state for me. They didn't do better than a couple of, well, but that's the thing. It's like, it's a different, completely different standard, right? Right. It's like, they're not going to be competing to win anything like Florida state. We're talking like this is the March or Florida state. It's the March to CFP. This is team Colorado is March to six. Yeah. They're one that's uh, expecting to make the college ball playoff next year. Like, he overturned this roster so much in one year. Like they actually are expecting to make a bowl game now. Yeah. So it's, and, and that's the thing about, which is fo- possible. And that's the thing about college football is it's like Travis Hunter is this golden goose. And like, don't get me wrong. The guy could be a superstar player, but it's like his, in his freshman year at Jackson state, he didn't necessarily show that he was just like the best player in all of FCS or anything. You know what I mean? So you get this guy for, two more years it's like this team is going to be a you know whatever they are this year if they make a bowl game and then and then travis hunter's a junior 
then you gotta like then you gotta start all over. You gotta continue to bring in this elite talent year after year. And so you Which know, I think obviously, he'll do if he sticks around. Like I think if Dion's at Colorado for five to six years, whatever, then yeah, I think he'll get there. I just think it's not gonna happen as quickly as some folks seem to think on Twitter. Like I just don't think it's gonna be this. Didn't you just say great. they'd be a juggernaut in four or five years though? Yeah, no, that's not quick. I'm saying year one, year two, like kind of what you're saying. Where I just it doesn't happen like that. This is the power five, and there's just a lot of talent in this league, and there is just. I, I think don't know. even to be a juggernaut in four to five years for what Colorado football has been. Yeah, the last well, I'm a juggernaut plus. for the Pac-12. Like I think he can compete with USC pretty quickly because he can compete for those kids like he can compete on the recruiting trail against the usc but they'll be gone so like that's the other thing is usc and ucla are out of the pac-12 suddenly they're the favorites in three years i mean depending on what oregon looks like and all that but i don't know i think dion is making strides if you're a colorado fan you have every reason to be excited this is an exciting time to be a buff fan but i just year one it's like go for march for six like i just don't think the talent's there right now I think they have good pieces. They don't have a full team. Football is a full team game, man. It's not no, one fair. guy. Tra- yeah. But in terms yeah. of this, I feel like what they're doing in the portal is just like, yeah. it's, it's insane for them to even think after 1-11. Like literally, they may have been the worst team in all of Power 5 last year. I actually don't even really think it's close i think they were the worst team mm. in all of power five last year there's probably half the teams in in the g5 they could have beat them last year so yeah the shador sanders that 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 is the question mark it's like are they are they a team that's even interesting next year or is it just is it still really really bad um another one i have on my list you're gonna be surprised have you heard about this have you seen this the tennessee volunteers i think are uh transfer portal winners matt green is that right they are I think they did a really good job. They did a really good job. They filled a bunch of needs. The thing about the portal now, when you're a power five school and like with Heupel, he had to obviously spend a lot of time in the portal in year one because you had so many guys exit following the Pruitt stuff that you just had to replenish a lot of guys through the portal. Now, when you've had a couple of classes under your belt, they signed 25, 26, whatever it was commits for this 2023 class. They're the deepest they've ever been in the Heupel era. Now you kind of get to be a little bit more choosy in where you go. McAllen Castles, I think, is going to be a really good player from Cal Poly to get him as tight end. He'll start with Jacob Moore. Dante Thornton, huge. Track speed, super tall, made some plays, already experienced, a lot of experience at Oregon. Like, he fills that Jalen Hyatt role. Him and Squirrel White and then Brew McCoy is probably going to be your three starters. So you get another starter there because you lost a lot of talent, a lot of production. Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt out the door in the NFL. Then you get Andre Karich from Texas. He was an offensive tackle there, probably going to play inside. He'll probably start for uh, for Carvin, who graduates and moves on to the NFL. That's a starter. John Campbell from Miami. Uh, he is a multi-year starter from Miami. Right tackle. Darnell Wright in the NFL draft. Campbell played with uh, Joe Milton in high school. Already there. Then you get Keenan Peely, older kid from BYU, married, a lot of experience, was a great player two years ago. At BYU, tore his ACL, did not have as great of a year. He's rehabbing, all that kind of stuff. But you lost um, Jeremy Banks to the pros. Hey, another just guy who you can start next to Aaron Beasley next year. Plug and play. Should be good. And the last one, um, Gabe Judy Lolly from BYU as well. He played at Vanderbilt for a little bit, four-star kid. He's going to probably start at corner. Like, you just got a bunch of starters to fill some gaps to the NFL and... 
I think all are going to be pretty good players. Um, some might pop more than others, but I'm very impressed by like how targeted Tennessee was just filling NFL gaps with these guys. And I think they're all going to play and they're all going to be pretty talented guys um, who should uh, contribute as this 2023 class and 2022 class continues to develop and uh, get ready to fill those slots because that's the goal, right? When you're at Georgia, like you have to like, you have to have these stop gaps for these guys to be in the conditioning program, the nutrition program, the weight training for a couple years, and then they're ready to play. So Tennessee's closing in on that for a lot of these guys, but you still need some veteran depth across the country to fill out your last little bits uh, for the portal. And I think Tennessee did a really good job. Uh, and I think if you're truly stuff. going to be one of the contenders in college football, you're never going to be in the top five winners of the transfer portal because yeah, you, you shouldn't have to get six, seven, eight key players out of the portal. Like mm-hmm. from that, like that same respect, like Georgia, I think has gotten three guys out of the portal. It's, it's like 80 Mitchell transfers and you brought in two, obviously Rob Rod Thomas has, you know, potential legal stuff going on, but assuming, you know, just with none of, with none of that on the table, it's like Georgia brought in two of the top three or four receivers in the portal Mm. As well as like you lost a, a Jaheim Singletary, a, a, four, a four star, borderline five star corner from the from the 2022 class, and you you get Smoke Bowie, who was a 2022 borderline four star, five star corner. So it's like you for the the guys you lost, you basically made up for, and and you look at Georgia, obviously at coming off two national titles, not a lot of weaknesses on the program period and, and what they did have they they filled in the in the does portal, that feel but, weird when you say that out loud coming off two national titles for your team does that not just feel weird saying out loud absolutely man it's <laughs> it's that's why georgia fans if, if you see them on twitter that's why they don't know how to act it's mm-hmm. uh we were, we're not we're used to being uh, super close also rocking my world series gear uh for the braves it's like mm-hmm. just like, experiencing all these championships it's uh it, it's definitely something to get used to but um but yeah, it's it's a it's a weird spot to be in when you're when you're number one because mm. you don't you don't necessarily know that you have to get better to win it all again, right? It's like when when if you you finish top five, you finish top ten, you know you got to do X Y Z to get better. It's like when you're number one. Well, considering Georgia won the national championship by fifty eight points, obviously they beat Ohio State by one. Mm. It's like they could have been a lot worse and potentially uh, still won the national championship. So. Uh, the 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 margin for error is a, is a little bit different, obviously, when you're when you're that talented. But um, it's it's definitely a, a something to get used to. But yeah, Georgia. I, I wasn't gonna say Georgia was one of my winners. I just uh, I thought of that while you're talking about Tennessee. But mm. but yeah, Georgia definitely just filled a couple spots. But another one, LSU, is one mm. because I mean they signed. I mean, like I said, for what for whatever these rankings are worth, they still don't know what exactly to do with these with these transfer portal rankings, but mm-hmm. LSU is the number one class according to 24 seven with 11 guys out of the portal, eight mm-hmm. of which are four stars. And so I think that's, I think that's big for LSU. Like they just won the sec West year one of Brian Kelly, like way ahead of schedule. And to now go get some guys like that could potentially contribute from day one, they along with signing like a top one corners. Five. They got four day one starter corners. Denver Harris from T uh, from AM, Zy Alexander, Deuce Chestnut, and JK Johnson. And they signed the sixth ranked class in the country this year, yeah. too. So it's like LSU, like there was so much made of Brian Kelly fitting the culture. It's like the culture is football. Yeah. And if you can be a good football coach, 
the guys are gonna are gonna come to play to LSU. Are they? So. I think they're the favorites to go back to back, right? I mean, Winning right now, it's hard for me to say Alabama's the favorite. I think there's just so much. Don't kind we like of question LSU more? more? I think I'm a bigger I, on LSU right now. I think I am as well. I think LSU. I mean, we usually see that kind of uptick in year two of any head coach, especially a good one. And um, you know, with with Jaden Daniels coming back, LSU's definitely got a, a lot of reasons to be optimistic. Butte came back too, right? Yeah, he did. He is coming back. I mean, I think LSU's the favorite um, to win the SEC West again. And I think it would not surprise me in the least that if we get Georgia and LSU both in the college football playoff next year. Wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. I could see it. I mean, LSU still did, you know, they had, they had some bad showings last year. Year one, though. They won the West and 10 wins in year one. Brian Kelly, I don't know, man. I think Oregon is another one that I've been um, pleased with in the portal. I think you got two starters from Alabama. Oh, in, in the, the portal. portal. I thought you were going with the CFP. I was like, oh, I sorry. don't know about and then, that. And yeah. then um, Jordan Birch as well from South well, Carolina. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you can, like, was there anyone else from, because they added a bunch. Like, basically LSU, all they got was Aaron Anderson offensively. But then everybody else is defense. Like, they clearly had an idea of, like, Brian Kelly was like, we're going to load up on the defense. We're LSU and we're going to, we're fine we're fine with their skill talent on offense and they just skill players already want to come to LSU. Right. And there's already so many in their backyard, the Odell Beckham's of the world, but like they really filled out the rest of this defense. I'm, I think if you're an LSU fan, you're very, very excited about year two for Brian Kelly. I think the, the, the ceiling is pretty, pretty high for this group. Like they could win the title next year. It would not like, would that floor you if Jane Daniels had a Heisman type year and LSU won the title? No, I I think as we said last week, I think that yeah. that's a solid like um, that's an bet early good bet as far I, as yeah. yeah as far as long shot Heisman. But I mean, I think as soon as the national championship odds come out, LSU's got to be up there, right? Like top yeah. five, top ten. I would as, think so. As, as far as yeah, as far as long shot, I mean, not super long shot, but just like odds fun enough to play. I think mm. LSU is definitely um, they're definitely a team that's that's got a shot for sure. Um, Matt Green, you mentioned Oregon. Why is Oregon a winner for you? I like, um, like I said, they got two Alabama starters mm. uh, in at a portal with uh, Treshawn Holden and um, who is it? Jackson, the corner. I'm, I'm blanking on his name off the top of my head. Oh, Kyrie um, Jackson. Yeah, and then and then also Jordan Birch out of South Carolina. I that was huge. Oregon, I think that's the biggest I, one. Is Jordan and I Birch don't from think South Oregon Carolina. had a lot of weaknesses either. So no. getting Bo, having Bo Nix come back, I feel like Oregon seems like that team that definitely will have college football playoff hopes like coming mm-hmm. into next season. Bo Nix is back. I mean, yeah, there's talent everywhere um, and, for sure. And it's been well documented how many of the good teams in college football are, are replacing their quarterbacks coming into mm-hmm. next season. Oregon is not one of those. So that right there gives them a, a little continuity that a lot of the other big time programs aren't going to have. UCLA is a winner for me. Chip Kelly has done a really good job. He's another one of these coaches who's done a really good job. Um, even if recruiting hasn't been as high as he may have wanted it to be. He gets college leave from Kent state um, who leaves obviously because his coach just left to go be the OC at uh, Colorado put up bonkers numbers for Kent state last year. We'll see how it translates to the power five level, but like, you lose DTR, you have Dante Moore waiting in the wings, you flip him from Oregon, and Dante Moore is going to be ready to go year two um, out of the gate, but you get a good bridge guy who can still put up big numbers in Chip Kelly's scheme. 
Um, you get a great player running back in Carson Steele from Ball State. You get uh, Cal's good wide receiver, J. Marco Sertiment. You get Kyle, Foyle, Kyle Ford from your rival, USC. I don't know. I like a lot of these guys. You get Keanu Williams from Oregon. I don't know. I, I look at what uh, UCLA has done, and I'm very intrigued by uh, what Chip Kelly... I mean, he's Chip Kelly's just solid, man. Like, he's just keeping this thing humming in, uh, in brewing country. So, good job by you, Chip Kelly, because uh, I think it's another good group, and I think uh, they're not going to have that big of a fall-off post-DTR. So, you're saying Dante Moore's not starting year one? No, I think it's Colin Schley. Okay. I see ya. Yeah, I got. I don't. I don't hate that class. I think they got a lot of. I mean, I just like you said. I trust Chip Kelly with what he's been doing at UCLA. They, they're they're getting better and better each year. Yeah, I like it. Um, one other big one I wanted to mention. It's not even a winner. I just think this is something we need to talk about. Did you hear how Kiffin described his quarterback room? Um, no, I didn't hear this. Okay, I love Lane Kiffin. Big Lane Kiffin guy. He just got a dog. Uh, posting about that on Twitter. He's got a little puppy, Golden Retriever. forgot what he named him. Not Zeus, but it's something like that. Um, but just Kiffin's great. Love Lane Kiffin. Um, he talked about it where he's like, he kept saying, it's like the NFL. When he was describing bringing in Spencer Sanders to compete with Jackson Dart, he's like, I brought in the veteran to compete with the incumbent starter. And then I brought in the guy to come in, learn, sit for a year. My draft pick. Like he, I think he said the word draft pick when describing walker howard and bringing him in which i thought like it was just a minute of and a half of just really interesting sound bites and kiffin obviously being a former nfl head coach his dad was dc for so many different franchises over the years just a legendary defensive mind and i think that's how a lot of these guys like it it's not how they look at the other position groups i think across the league and this is something i'm worried about with tennessee man Joe Milton and Nico, that's it. Like then you have walk on uh Gaston Moore and preferred walk on the new kid, three star freshman, but he's a true freshman coming in from Tennessee. Like there's no depth. Like Georgia's a an outlier with the three base uh, two or I guess one five star and two four stars, right? I guess is the consensus yeah. for your quarterback room right now. And that's rare. Lane Kivens, like, I like Jackson Dart. He showed some stuff down the stretch, but like it's hard, man. Like I gotta have if I have an opportunity to bring in QB talent year to year. Like my job is to win football games, and if I think I can upgrade, even if I like my guy, guess what? They can just leave anyway. So if you rest on your laurels that this guy is my guy and I found it and I don't have to worry about quarterback anymore, that's not the era that we're in for most schools. You need to have a fail safe if things go awry. And people are like, well, Jackson. Like that's the thing that people have been saying about Jackson Dart is like, oh, he's gonna enter the portal in May. Jackson Dart's already transferred. He transferred from USC to Ole Miss. He already burned his one year. He will not graduate. He will not be a grad transfer by the time May rolls around. He would have to sit out a year if he transfers in May. He will not play immediately wherever he goes after this. We're now at the point where the COVID players will be gone, and I don't think we're going to see as crazy of movement as we've seen the last two years. I, I think it's going to slow down a little bit. But like, if you're Lane Kiffin, this is amazing. You get a guy who you know has put up a bunch of points, been a Heisman almost like a year ago where Oklahoma State was on the verge of making the playoff with Spencer Sanders as their starting quarterback. You have this guy who's going to come in and push the guy that you like too. But like if Spencer Sanders beats out Jackson Dart, hey, I have a better quarterback than I did a year ago. And I still brought in the guy who's ready to go, who's a borderline five-star in Walker Howard, who knows that he's not going to play this year and will be the favorite to be the job next year. But guess what? He's going to bring in competition for Walker Howard next year. 
Like, he's going to say it's Walker Howard. But, like, I have to have fail-safe guys because the quarterback position is so volatile and so many of these guys transfer because they're looking to start and do Like, you have to have other guys. So people who are killing Lane Kiffin for bringing in Sanders and Howard, I'm like, that's the era we're in. He's maximizing this era. He ha- he knows he has to do this because if Jackson Dart's bad, he doesn't want to have to just throw in Walker Howard who's not ready. Like, he wants to have Absolutely. another bet. And and that's why it, this is a two-way street. And that's why we've, we've, we've talked about how I think we're going to see college football kind of normalize in the next few years. It's like we had all these changes all at once that yeah. it was hard to know which are the ones that are, like, turning the sport upside down or whatever. But this portal era, like like you said, like Georgia a couple years ago, it, I mean, they had to get Stetson Bennett out of junior college to have a second scholarship quarterback yeah. after Justin Fields left. It's like it's so hard to keep multiple quality start scholarship quarterbacks on your roster. And if all of these players are going to be looking at what the best, uh, what the grass is greener over here, over there, well, you better you're damn sure the, the, the programs are going to do it too. And they're yeah. going to say, oh, how good are you? Um, yeah, well, we might could get a slight upgrade. So mm-hmm. we're going to bring in the guy from Oklahoma State. So, yeah, I mean, this it's is nothing kind personal. Of, you would do the same on the other side. Exactly. It's the nature of the beast. If, if Jackson Dark could have a slightly better uh, deal somewhere else and, and you know, maybe uh, make a little more money and also be a, a guaranteed starter and that maybe a better offensive coordinator or something, you know, maybe Lane Kiffin's one of the best there is. But you know what I mean? Just a, a situation that was just a little bit better. He might go jump ship and, and do that. A lot of guys mm. would. Um, and so you're seeing the program do the same thing. Like, yeah, we had an okay quarterback last year. We think we can have an even better one. Or, like you said, maybe he beats out Spencer Sanders and, you know, turns out he actually is a pretty good player. So it's, uh, I think they have, to, programs are going to have to do this. It's going to be so hard to just to keep multiple quality options at quarterback on your roster year in and year out. So when and they fall on your lap and Spencer Sanders like, I'll come, it's like, all right, done. Like, why would I say no yeah. to that? If you're exactly, and that's why one thing when you were talking about like Georgia's quarterback room, them taking someone from the portal or something, I think I think they are in a situation where it's like we got three guys currently that aren't all none of them are in the same class. They're maybe there's separation enough that they all will consider being here for another year or two. It's like you kind of have to hold on to that if you mm-hmm. if you can because. You go try to get someone out of the portal, you could potentially blow up your entire room, and it's maybe to have maybe you'll have a better quarterback situation for this season, but you know you can never guarantee what it is moving forward. Yeah, because I think that's that's so much of what the quarterback position is. It's 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 so much is about timing. It's like mm-hmm. Clemson was is so lucky to have you know Deshaun Watson. He he didn't overlap with with Taj Boyd. You know mm-hmm. he didn't have to make a decision there. He didn't overlap with Trevor Lawrence. It's like but but sometimes that from and Eason or or from and, and Fields type situation happens where it's it's a zero sum game. Like if one guy's the starter, the other is the other guy's leaving. So it's yeah. uh, it makes it even trickier from a roster management perspective. Yeah, I mean that's I think Tennessee made a mistake. I they could still add somebody else uh, post spring, um, but I just I don't think you can if you could avoid just having Joe and Nico be your only options, you need to do that. Like that's you're an injury away from just catastrophic issues. I mean, that's true, but if you are a 19, 20-year-old, 18-year-old that wants to play college football, yeah, plus to play Division One, a quarterback at Division One level, like 
how are you going to look at Tennessee as an attractive spot? You're like, well, they have a senior starting probably this year and then a potential superstar that's a freshman. I yeah. most likely will never play there. I'm going to go somewhere else. It's an open you competition, know? though, but you can beat out Joe. Like, that's the thing. Is like, it's the same thing with Jackson where you're like, are you sure you saw enough that Joe Milton is a one But no, high school senior right now is, is thinking they can beat out Nico and Oh, 100%. Joe. Nico, no one's coming. Like, the young kids like that. There's a reason that the 2024 quarterback – it's just – yes – but a super senior, like a Spencer Sanders type, like, see, that's even worse. At least, yeah. uh, at least a high schooler has the option of redshirting, then being yeah. behind Nico. He goes pro early. It's like, yeah, because you're if like I'm a junior, if I'm a junior or senior right now, I'm definitely not looking at somewhere who's got a not a guaranteed. Can you imagine a kid a at Texas? Senior? Like, yeah, I'm gonna go follow Quinn Ewers and um. The, let me check my notes here. Arch Manning. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna get on the field anytime soon in Austin. Yeah, exactly. So I think if you've, um, you know, with all the options you're weighing in the portal, I don't think Tennessee's a very good destination um, if you're wanting to play as a junior or a senior right now. I'm still just bitter. Maybe he's a grad transfer. Sam Hartman, come on down. You lost your OC that you committed to. Sam Hartman, QB1 this fall. Oh, and that's another thing. I meant to say that while we were on the topic of Sam Hartman. Like, Mm. this is why we have to do something about this calendar. Like, because... Mm. This guy commits to Notre Dame, and now the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame isn't even there. Mm. It's like maybe because he is a in the portal, he has to be somewhere by the spring semester anyway. So maybe there's no way to really police this type of situation. I think because he's a grad transfer, he can leave again and still play this fall. I'm pretty certain grad transfers can bounce like twice. like Even if he yes. hasn't graduated from the program he's currently at? Yes, I think he can leave because he's a graduate transfer because he just has the eligibility. Like, I think those guys can actually leave. So I think Sam Hartman, I don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty certain he can leave again if he wants to and play this fall. And, you know, maybe it wasn't all about Tommy Reese. and Just playing quarterback at Notre Dame, they they've, mm. they've felt kind of a quarterback away. Like, they've yeah. had a lot of stuff around them. They've been a quality team. I mean, he's the, the best quarterback they've years. had in, like, a decade. So, you know, maybe it was more than just Tommy Reese. But um, I don't know. I feel like if I'm the quarterback, the, the OC is going to be a pretty big a big reason why I'm choosing where I'm going to play for the final year of my, of my college career. I would agree. All right, Matt Green, that was a fun exercise. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. The portal, it's uh, man, it's and there and there's still more to happen too. It's like you you look at all the guys that are still uncommitted in the portal, and it's I don't know. It, this is a this is a crazy era we're living in, for sure. Um, well, next week on the pod we'll do uh, transfer portal losers, and I'm sure all kinds of other news and notes that we can talk about in the college football calendar. It's a year-round sport. More craziness will pop up in the next week or so. So look out for all that on this program. Um. Matt, follow him on Twitter, Matt underscore W underscore green, all that good stuff. Um, and, you know, like us on YouTube, watch us on YouTube, listen on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast, all the good stuff. Email us, jasonmuspodcast at gmail.com, all that good stuff. But for that guy down there in Tequila, Georgia, Matt Green, for myself up here in Knoxville, Tennessee, that is all we've got. And I will talk to you next week. Yes, sir. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. 
But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you that you're interviewing, mm-hmm. your um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.